Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments. And get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Health Talks Now, your trusted source for the health news and topics that matter to you most. On today's episode, I sat down for a phone conversation with renowned orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Brent Morris. Dr. Morris is a leading area physician who specializes in the treatment of shoulders and elbows, and together we discuss some of the common and easy-to-ignore injuries that can affect these important joints. You'll want to listen till the end for tips about arthritis and how to know when everyday injuries should not be treated at home. So without further ado, let's listen in to my conversation with Dr. Brent Morris. Well, you're a new face to Baptist Health, but certainly not to Kentucky or rather the region. We're glad to have you on the show with us today, Dr. Brent Morris. Yeah, thank you, Kendra. It's, it's a real pleasure to get to spend a few minutes with you here, and uh, thanks for setting this up. Yeah, of course. Well, let's start by telling our listeners a little bit about you and what it was like for you to grow up out near the Red River Gorge. Yeah, what a, what a nice place. I mean, so yeah, Gorgeous. we are, we're happy to be back in Kentucky in the Lexington area and obviously have a lot more access to our hometown. So I grew sure. up in Clay City. My parents are still there and I had an older brother and younger sister and uh, all of us are, are back in Kentucky now. So very exciting. And yeah, what a beautiful area, Eastern Kentucky and the Red River Gorge, Natural Bridge area. Growing up as a kid, you don't, you know, how that goes. You don't always appreciate what's, sure. you know, out, out, your, out your back door, but as I've gotten older, you know, anytime we were able to fly back from Texas, we would go back. So we would take the kids to the Natural Bridge area, and uh, we've been up there several times since we relocated. So, yeah, beautiful area, and uh, glad to be back to our roots. It's such a beautiful hiking spot. So much good yeah. outdoor stuff to do out there. Well, let's move now into your career. So how did you become interested in the field of orthopedics? Yeah, so orthopedics is great. So I had a good experience in medical school here in Lexington and uh, had some good mentors and good exposure there at the university and really just fell in love with it. My brother, older brother, went into ENT or ear, nose, and throat surgery. And so I looked at that as well and thought, really great field, great people. But the procedures we did in orthopedics, you know, awesome people and and procedures that really kind of blew my mind. You think a person with a say, for example, even a shoulder fracture, are you going to do no surgery? Are you going to do a plate? You know, yeah. to fix it? Are you going to do a nail to fix it? Are you going to do a replacement? So just really, it's kind of the same name. It's a broken shoulder, fractured shoulder, all the same. But the complexities, even though what we do is fairly simplistic, you know, we kind of put people back together and put you know parts in when needed. Now, but really get this immediate gratification when yeah. you take a person who can't use their arm or can't walk, and you can immediately get you know get them back going. So that that was kind of my big. Yeah, kind of interested me the most early. Sure. I mean, mobility is such a key part of quality of life. So I imagine it's really gratifying to see that. And there's got to be a a satisfaction in the problem-solving puzzle component of it, too. You know, figuring out what's going to be the best course of treatment for each individual patient. It's got to be kind of interesting. 
Well, we'd like to spend a little bit of time today with you talking about shoulders and elbows, which are really your area of expertise. So let's jump right in. How do shoulders most commonly get injured? It's not always sports related or a weight bearing exercise, right? Can you explain how something like an everyday activity might factor into those types of injuries? Yeah, you know, it does often occur with uh, athletic activities. Certainly shoulder injuries can occur with with athletics and excessive repetitive overhead motion, especially with our throwers, but also swimming, Mm -hmm. tennis, weightlifting, among others. But it also occurs with everyday activities. I mean, the majority, even if you see a lot of athletes, which we're fortunate to see a lot of athletes here at Baptist as well, especially in the shoulder elbow realm and our sports colleagues as well, but the bulk of the visits are still weekend warriors, you know, yeah. regular people like us who like to stay active or even people that maybe aren't as involved in athletic activities or exercise, but you develop this wear and tear over time. Sure. You know, the body, things just take its toll over time, especially with rotator cuff injuries, labral tearing, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not always kind of, you know, elite level athletics. A lot of it just normal people like us that the body just kind of wears down over time. Yeah. Well, the shoulder is one of the largest, most complex joints in the body. And fun fact for our listeners, unlike the hip, the shoulder doesn't have a socket. And this might sound kind of rudimentary to you, but how is that possible? How does the shoulder actually work? I try my best to explain it every day. And even sometimes we will even mention it like a socket, but we try to distinguish that it's clearly different. I mean, the, the knee and the elbow, although complex, and the elbow especially being smaller, our hinge joints, okay. our hinge joints. The hip is a ball and socket, and especially on the replacement side, mm-hmm. hip replacements just do phenomenally well because it's a fairly basic joint, reasonable range of motion, but it's a cup, a ball and cup. Yeah. Dov is a pretty smart guy. Yeah. He designed that. Absolutely. with the shoulder, pretty genius how it was designed, but it's really held together unlike the hip, which has a socket, as you properly point out. It's held together by ligaments and tendons that really kind of hold it together in a capsule to keep that together. So really what it allows is the ball to lever off of or or go against the glenoid, which is the quote-unquote socket, if you will, of the shoulder, even though it's not a cup. It's a flat surface and relatively small surface. So yeah, extremely complex to really lend to the extreme amount of range of motion that we have. Mm -hmm. And some people naturally have even more range of motion than normal. So really the shoulder, you can get a lot of uh, increased mobility, but that puts it at risk. You know, it puts it at risk for strain, repetitive injuries and other things as our joints age and those ligaments either get too loose or too tight over time. Yeah. So I read that shoulders are one of the most commonly injured joints in our body. And it sounds like that might be a big contributing factor is just that extreme range of motion allows us to, to do more with it. Let's get into a rotator cuff tear. And as I understand it, it's one of the most common shoulder injuries. How common is it? What causes it? And how might someone know that they've torn their rotator cuff? So as a shoulder and elbow surgeon, that's one of the most common things that that I or anybody that does that type of work will see. They're very common. I feel like it's almost like a hidden secret that, and I tell all my patients or try to remind everyone that they're actually very common, up to 20% of the general population, and it really goes by decades. You know, as we get older tears are more common. So sure. after the age of 50, we do start to see an increase over time. And some data over the years would show that about 50% of the people are more in their 70s actually do have a rotator cuff tear. So oh, wow. some people are surprised by that. Yeah, they, they say, wait a minute, you know, it's only been hurting me for a, a month or two. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean everybody has a tear, but it means if we 
MRI'd everybody that walked into the building over the age of 70, it's actually pretty high hmm. chance, about 50% chance they would have a tear. And what's crazy is, is even on the other side, say I'm seeing a person for their right shoulder, it's very painful. Mm-hmm. MRI proves that a rotator cuff tear, their contralateral side mm-hmm. uh, could actually have a partial rotator cuff tear as well. So, wow. and, and the key with that is partial because some of those injuries that do we do see as we age are, are partial tears that are often treated non surgically. Okay. So that's why we really harp on physical therapy, activity modifications, safe medications, things like that before we jump right into surgery. We certainly want to exhaust those things, but not to confuse that also with acute rotator cuff tears, meaning if somebody was lifting a really heavy object, trying to put something in the back of their truck, yeah. pop, pow, acute tear, those are treated differently. You okay. know, those are typically surgery that sooner rather than later. But the, the ones that kind of wear and tear over time, yeah, those are it's actually quite common. And the way y'all, folks often know, obviously pain, they will have weakness, trouble going overhead. Okay. You know, that's the whole purpose of the shoulders to sure. get your hand in space, especially overhead. And if you have big tears, you can get profound weakness. And a lot of p- folks do have a lot of night pain and a lot of sleep disturbance. We've published on that for shoulder replacement yeah. patients. And also that's been published on with uh, rotator cuff tears too. So a lot of night pain and uh, trouble sleeping. And that's that's often a big reason why folks come in. That makes sense. So excluding acute causes, like you mentioned, and looking at lifestyle with those injuries that occur by repetitive use over time, let's address some common questions that our listeners might be wondering right now. Can you injure your shoulder by sleeping on your side? That's a great question. And I, I get this quite a lot. You know, this is one of my favorite that folks will bring up kind of at church or off yeah. the cuff or, you know, this kind of thing. Like, hey, if you don't mind, let me ask you. I slept rough on this the other day. Do you think that's mm-hmm. why my shoulder hurts? It's a great question. As far as I know, there's no evidence to suggest that we actually hurt ourselves by sleeping. But people are very, very strongly opinionated that that's absolutely the case. And that's yeah. okay. I mean, I, I believe them. A couple things, though. We know that the pain in the shoulder, especially the shoulder, more than other joints, is really painful at night. So yeah. if you have a rotator cuff tear or arthritis and you fight it all day, mm-hmm. consciously fight it at night, uh, the theory is, at least for most of us, that it just it kind of catches up with you. You know what I mean? And then, right. In the still of the night, things are quiet. You're like, man, why is this thing? Yeah, you notice it much more. Point? And sometimes you have to quote unquote sleep wrong. You know, it right. may be a little bit you know, fired up, but. One common thing we do see, too, are frozen shoulders. And the most common thing is folks do associate that with, maybe I slept wrong because they wake up and it's really painful and it's really stiff. And it's probably unrelated to the actual act of sleeping. It's just that for whatever reason, the shoulder capsule got inflamed. But we often see that. People try to recollect. They're like, well, maybe it's because I did extra gardening yesterday or this or that or had that trauma. But most of the time, it's not. Good Hmm. old-fashioned frozen shoulder kind of comes on out of nowhere and often it can happen uh, during nighttime too. Yeah, but typically you don't actually injure it by sleeping on your side. So feel free to I tell folks sleep in whatever position is comfortable that way, but the shoulder itself should not be injured by sleep. Oh, that's good news for a side sleeper over here. <laughs> um, so how about lifting or carrying a child or carrying a, a heavy purse? Similarly, that comes up a lot, Kendra. And the joke I make with a lot of awesome grandparents is that don't worry, I won't blame it on your grandchild because <laughs> some of them will kind of sheepishly admit they're like, "Gosh, I was holding my two-year-old, yeah. and I have one of those, so I, I feel for them." I understand, Same. but you know that their two-year-old grandchild, exactly. So you know, yeah. and it definitely can make your shoulder sore. There's no doubt, especially yeah. if you're if you're holding a child at the bulk of the day. I mean, there's no doubt, and that's same with the heavy purse. 
but it would really be a reach, kind of usually that reach, like if you're in the driver's seat and you're reaching back into the oh, back seat, okay. get a heavy purse, that heavy book sense. bag, heavy something. That's a no-go. I, I do not like that move. That, okay. that can be very painful. I recommend you know, just kind of go into the back seat that way. Yeah, but as far as lifting a child, the similar thing, it's pretty rare for me to see somebody get injured, need a surgery or something like that. But it certainly can exacerbate some underlying shoulder issues. There's okay. no doubt. Yeah, that makes sense. When do folks know I can treat this at home or I definitely need some kind of intervention or professional treatment? I mean, I think a lot of that is mechanism dependent, meaning if you fall off a ladder, there's a deformity. Yeah, for sure. sure. Yeah. You know, but if it's like, gosh, it's just been a little sore, I've yeah. been exercising more frequently, you know, I'm doing something new and different. Those folks, I usually say, hey, you know, kind of cool off, ice it, rest it, give it some time, anti-inflammatories, Tylenol, these kinds of things. Okay. But the pop, pow, yeah. you know, something is different. I'm weak. My arm is profoundly weak. Those are the ones, you know, sooner rather than later and you sure. need to get in. But the ones that are kind of wear and tear, you know, gosh, it's been hurting me for a few months. Yeah. I think it's maybe making some adjustments that way, modifying your activities. And But obviously on the shoulder elbow front, orthopedic front, we're always happy to help. Yeah. You mentioned on those wear and tear cases that you typically try to go through the procedures of a non-surgical treatment first and sure. look at other options. What role does PT play in these kinds of cases, if any? Physical therapy is huge. I mean, they're kind of our right hand. I mean, the therapists are phenomenal that we get to work with. And the goal of therapy is really to just put the shoulder in a position of optimal function. Sometimes it's, I tell folks they have a limp. You know, we say that with legs all the time or ankle injuries, you know, you're limping. The shoulder, you can mask that limp. And Ben Kibler, one of our kind of legends of orthopedics and here locally, that talks about that, scapular dyskinesis. So we call that a limp, where the shoulder is just in an improper position to function properly. And the therapist can really help with that. And it takes a lot of buy-in. You mm-hmm. know, it takes buy-in, the surgeon understanding what can respond to therapy, the therapist clearly, but also from the patient, just saying, you know, I, be- I believe this will work, and we know those folks can do well. Yeah. We're really outlining the patient journey here from how it happens to your non-surgical options. Let's look now at the surgical option. For a patient who's maybe exhausted at home or alternative therapies or who had one of those acute incidents and is a candidate for surgery, what does that surgery look like? What's the process from injury to recovery? Yeah. So, for example, an acute rotator cuff tear, those usually heal up quite well. They're way different than the ones that have been brewing for years and years. Mm. And so those we usually get to the repair more quickly. It's minimally invasive surgery. Still still pretty big recovery. There's no doubt about that. They'll be in a sling for about three weeks. And then physical therapy will start after that. The healing time, that's a kicker. The healing time takes about three months. Just like a broken bone, the rotator cuff tendon to heal down against the bone takes about three months. Okay. And so then we can start strengthening. So it's kind of a five to six month kind of quote unquote full recovery. Mm-hmm. But most folks can tell the difference pretty early. Now, contrast that with like a fracture. Somebody has a bad elbow fracture, humeral fracture, mm-hmm. proximal humeral fracture. Those still take three months to heal, but the therapy can be pretty aggressive even in the sort of four to six week phase. So they yeah. can tell a big difference pretty quickly that they went from having an arm that was kind of floppy, not yeah. functioning at all, to now they're kind of put back together, if you will. Wow. How about joint replacement or total shoulder replacement? Walk us through that and how that looks like for someone who gets to the point of needing a total shoulder replacement. 
Yeah, so great question and a, and a really big part of my career, you know, dealing with primary shoulder replacements being the first time around and sometimes being kind of that surgeon available if someone's had one in the past and trying to help out with what we call a revision shoulder replacement. Yeah. So a lot of those are through arthritis, no different than hips and knees, okay. but we don't walk on our shoulders, right? So right. they're just not quite as common, but some injuries can predispose you to developing arthritis of your shoulder or those rotator cuff tears we talked about mm-hmm. that are quite common. Some can develop really big rotator cuff tears okay. and they get to where they can't lift their arm and they get arthritis too. So wow. their rotator cuff is gone and they have arthritis. So those are good candidates for reverse shoulder replacement, which mm-hmm. is another type of shoulder replacement. And so we, we still try to exhaust conservative measures, you know, resting it, safe medicines. Some types of therapies can help. Obviously, you can't overcome the joint being extremely arthritic. But once they've kind of exhausted those things, and, and a lot of times their x-rays and CT scans kind of tell the story pretty well, and a lot of people are very stoic. I mean, they can, they can go quite a long time with this severe shoulder arthritis, which is amazing to me, but then it gets to a point where the, it's too painful. They can't yeah. sleep at night the pain's too much Mm -hmm. and the the function is so poor. So it's a very gratifying uh, operation to really be able to restore folks. Oh, I'm sure. When you need orthopedic or sports medicine care, pick the winning team. Baptist Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is known for providing award-winning care, including minimally invasive orthopedic surgeries and joint replacements, comprehensive sports medicine care, and personalized physical therapy and rehabilitation services. With multiple locations throughout Kentucky and Indiana, you're never far from Baptist Health's patient-centered team, committed to providing you the best care, education, and pain management possible. Learn more about our services at baptisthealth.com and find a provider near you by visiting baptisthealth.com provider. We're back with orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Brent Morris. What does life look like for someone after joint replacement? Are they back to good as new, or do they have lifelong limitations to preserve that joint? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, we let folks kind of get back to life. We try to avoid heavy labor, so a lot of heavy overhead lifting. Some folks come in like power lifters. I mean, I'm talking heavy weight lifters that their shoulder joints just wear out. So those folks we're just honest with and say, you know, it's probably not a good idea to put that metal and plastic through those kinds of loads. Mm -hmm. But as far as even light lifting, tone, reps, these kinds of things, we still encourage folks to kind of get back in the game a little bit. Not as much with contact sports, obviously. For replacements, you worry about fracturing, things like that, if they have a big trauma. But it's, it's such a gratifying thing. And I tell folks the main three goals really are pain relief, Pain relief, pain relief. Yeah, That's what we want to focus sure. on. If somebody doesn't have that much pain, even if they have a bad-looking x-ray, we can kind of keep on keeping on. But yeah. if it's to the point where their pain is severe, their arthritis is severe on x-ray too, that it's very reasonable. A lot of people can tell a big difference in short order. They're like, wow, I'm so glad I did this because now I can actually lift my arm again. So it's, wow. it's a big change. That's fantastic. How long do a, does a shoulder replacement typically last? Is that a lifelong thing? We're looking at this a lot. So a couple of responses there. The, the anatomical total shoulders, kind of the way God built us with mm-hmm. a metal ball and a flat plastic piece. Mm-hmm. Those, we have pretty good data. So those historically fail at about a rate of 1% per year, meaning if you've had the total shoulder for 30 years, there's still a 70% chance that you're pretty happy with the shoulder wow. and you're still doing well. Yeah, so the anatomicals can be pretty good. Now, we know if you put it in a young patient, young being usually less than 50 or even uh-huh. some in the early 50s, that's really going to use it a lot. That, sure. That's probably different. They may wear it out a little bit sooner. Yeah. And then the other one is the reverse shoulder, 
which has only been in the United States since 2004. Okay. So obviously, even if you put one of the first one in in the country, you're only about a 16-year long sure. kind of process. And so we're actually in the process with my Houston team, where we were before, and then we're actually presenting it uh, here soon on our 10-year data. So okay. 10 years of, after reverse in America, one of the largest and longest series of reverses in our country, at least, as opposed to France, where they've done it longer. But really happy, actually, at the 10-year data. So 10 years and, and counting at this point. So most people, I think, tell folks, you know, 10 to 15 years, feel pretty confident about that, but we're hopeful that the long-term data will be even more, getting folks 20, 25 years, depending on when they get it done. Yeah, well, that'll certainly be interesting to follow along with. Before we move further on to discuss arthritis and then to look at elbows, let's talk about prevention. So as far as those wear and tear injuries, obviously the acute injuries may be more sudden, you may not have so much prevention, but as far as the wear and tear injuries, Can you comment on the everyday activities or the weightlifting or exercise, any activity of this nature that would cause that repetitive movement and have the potential for overuse? What are some of your best tips on how to do that safely, how someone can protect their shoulders, and how to prevent those wear and tear injuries as best they can? Yeah, I think that's a, that. Those are all great points and great questions, there, Kendra. So that I think you know the joints. We do know with good science, the joints throughout our body love to be loaded. Mm. I mean, they love to be used. Yeah. You know, and that's our goal as orthopedists is to give people the ability to move. Even if you fix a lot of our fractures, we still want to load the joint and move the joint so they don't get stiff. Okay. But it's always this, you know, tightrope act, and so it's kind of one of those too much of a good thing. Mm-hmm. So weightlifting in general is great. But if you push your body beyond what limits it can handle, sure. then it can work the other way. Similar with a CrossFit type exercise. Years ago, I treated so many injuries from CrossFit type injuries that I was a little skeptical about the types of demands that were put on the body. But I'll tell you, for the last you know many years now, I've I've actually participated. My joke is I'm one of the only probably shoulder and elbow surgeons <laughs> that actually does CrossFit, <laughs> which is probably not accurate. I mean, there may be thousands yeah. of those. Uh, there just aren't many of us. But I tell you, a lot of the the folks I've worked with really emphasize form and sure. over over you know heavy weights and things like that. And so I think you can kind of ruin any good form of exercise just like you can make it proper and, and healthy. And so I've been very pleased with that experience because I do think cardio work for our general health is great. Yeah. But also some some weight lifting to help load our joints and some of those Olympic type lifts mm-hmm. can be helpful. But even things like push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, it's hard for me to kind of complain that those are harmful to me as long as they're done in moderation. I've been happy with patients that participate in these things. Like I say, I'm kind of biased in that way, right? I don't see all the happy, healthy customers. I see the the patients that come in who've been injured from doing some of these forms of weightlifting. They're actually quite uncommon. And usually most folks kind of admit, gosh, I just went too heavy. Yeah, I did too many of that thing. That makes sense. So Yeah, so I think ways to protect it are being aware of them and kind of giving the shoulders some attention and elbows as well. And really a lot of our repetitive overuse things actually, unfortunately, are younger athletes with throwing. So there's a lot of good public health type stuff out on that already and continuing just to remind our, our young throwers that throwing should not be a painful thing. And if it's painful, then now we need to shut the arm down yeah. and let them have a chance to recover. That makes sense. Well, now let's look at arthritis. We talked a little bit about this in the shoulder. This is a condition a lot of people are familiar with the term, but most of us probably, like we said, don't consider it in our shoulder and elbow. How common is arthritis in those areas? 
Yeah, so great question. So again, since we don't weight bear or put our weight basically of our full body over our hips and knees, we don't do that over the shoulder and elbow. So I would say the elbow is far less common than even the shoulder. So we're taking the mm-hmm. shoulder, which is kind of secondary, tertiary to the, you know, behind mm-hmm. the hips and knees, but the elbow is even further behind. So osteoarthritis would be the most common that we okay. talk about, kind of wear and tear. So mostly the shoulder joint, we call that the glenohumeral joint, but it is quite common to get a chromioclavicular joint arthritis or AC joint arthritis. Okay. And that's actually common and pretty asymptomatic. So when a lot of people say, oh, I have arthritis in my shoulder, somebody looked at my x-ray and said, I have arthritis in my shoulder, often they're referring to the AC joint, which honestly is, is actually okay. Most people get arthritis there and it's mostly asymptomatic, meaning they don't feel it. Okay. Whereas the shoulder joint itself, when it gets arthritic, it's it's not subtle. I mean, they, they know popping catching okay. uh, big bone spurs inside the joint. And then you contrast that with rheumatoid arthritis, which is not as common now because it's so well treated, or at least maybe the, the, the ill effects are not as common because our rheumatologists and, and primary care doctors are so good at treating it and the medicines yeah. have improved. But that can impact inflammatory arthritis can impact the shoulder and elbow joints as well, but it seems seem to show up a lot in the elbow. So the elbow is definitely not as common and often can be treated, fortunately, conservatively, avoiding surgery of the elbow, although elbow replacements are performed. For people who aren't maybe familiar with arthritis, what are some of the symptoms they should look for? Is it a stiffness or a frozen feelings? That's a good point. So uh, you can get a frozen shoulder without the arthritis, but if you're getting kind of popping, clicking, catching, okay. you know, pretty robust, not just the, oh, I can pop my shoulder, but like, wow, I'm very stiff, and it kind of catching up with you over really over years, then that's more the arthritis kind of pathway. If it's you wake up, the shoulder's very irritated, painful, and it just came on out of nowhere, that's probably a true, we call idiopathic frozen shoulder, which is different. But yeah, they, they're definitely very stiff you know, and painful, a lot of night pain, mm-hmm. and uh, no different than kind of the hip and knee arthritis for the folks that really experience that. It's just that we can mask it a lot better with our shoulder. You know, we just, some people just won't use that arm as much, whereas with our legs, you know, we have to, have right. to use them to get around. You mentioned that arthritis is pretty well treated. How do you treat arthritis? Well, it's pretty well treated with uh, with surgical intervention. Yeah, okay. so perhaps maybe rheumatoid arthritis we have good medicines for, and the hope is, right, that we'll eventually have good medicines for osteoarthritis. Gotcha. I mean, that'll be an absolute game changer. Somebody's going to win a Nobel Prize yeah. right now working on that right now just to cure the ails of the world yeah. because it's so common. But the key is we can really deal with it effectively once it's kind of too far down the road. So gotcha. we do have a good surgical solution, but yeah, prevention would be far better. Yeah. Well, let's jump on into elbows then. And before we get serious about elbows, tell us about the funny bone. Why is it called the funny bone and why does it hurt so bad when you hit it? Yeah, so... So the funny bone, the humerus, you know, longest bone in the in the upper part of the body, and on the inside of your elbow, you've got a, a little place, a little bony bump called the medial epicondyle. Okay. Guy's a pretty smart guy, and right behind that medial epicondyle, what it's protecting is there's a little groove there for the ulnar nerve. And so what you're doing when you bump that, and we've all done it, it feels terrible. Yeah, yeah. And you're bumping that ulnar nerve, and it sends shooters usually down your fourth and fifth digit, your small yeah. fingers. That's what you're hitting. So you're actually literally hitting a nerve, a nerve. Okay. Uh, when you bump it right there because it lives. You can actually palpate your own ulnar nerve there, just kind of rest behind that bony bump on the inside of your arm, and uh, it is not not fun. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about tendonitis in the elbow. I think sometimes this is more commonly referred to as tennis elbow. Is this one of the more common elbow injuries that you see? Absolutely. So there's two varieties. One is on the outside of your elbow 
called the called tennis elbow or lateral epicondylitis. One is on the medial side or inside of your elbow, kind of like we were just talking. Yeah. And that's a golfer's elbow or okay. medial epicondylitis. So extremely common. In a given day, I'll see lots of folks with this. It's very irritating. You know, it's it's so it's painful mm-hmm. and it takes a long time. It can take up to one year of conservative measures to get it better. Rarely does it ever need surgery. Mm, okay. Sometimes a shot will help and some modifications that way. And therapy is a huge help, but it's very, very common. Hmm. It doesn't only affect people who play tennis or golf, though, correct? I mean, this that's just, it's more colloquial yeah, name. <laughs> I really, I'm not a big fan of those names because yeah. it's rare that I'll ever see a tennis player with an right. actual tennis elbow and vice versa because it can go both, both ways. And it's a bit of a misnomer as well because it's not really a true tendonitis for the you know true nerds out there, the histopathology of it or whatever. It's really kind of a, a tendon gone bad rather than oh. a plain tendon. Okay. But the name tendonitis has stuck, which is implies that the tendon has inflammation. And usually inflammation gets better with like anti-inflammatories yeah. and medicines. And this one's just different. It's just that kind of tendon wears down over time. But it still can improve on its own, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's amazing. Our bodies are pretty awesome things. What exactly does that feel like, the tendonitis in your elbow? What might someone experience symptomatically? Yeah, so a lot of it's point tenderness. I mean, I can just Mm. feel that very spot, and they know exactly where it's going to be. And anytime they grasp coffee cup, their purse, their laptop bag, whatever, Mm -hmm. anytime you engage that, those extensor tendons, when you extend your wrist, when you think about it, when you grab something, your wrist extends, and so it really lights that area up. So yeah, kind of point tenderness at that very spot. That makes sense. Say someone is really conservative in their resting and they're taking measures to really recoup that area of tendonitis, can it recur? Is this something that they would continually need to be cognizant of and careful to avoid? You know, so it can, but usually recurrence is is probably less common. Once folks really kind of fight through that initial period, which again can be six months to a year, it's a very long time, but we know that about 95 plus percent get better. So once they kind of have the confidence to know, okay, this thing will go away, mm-hmm. it, sure, it, it can come back, especially if they go back to some of the similar activities, but it's not as common. Well, here's something that caught my attention as I was reading and preparing for our conversation today, that even reading a book could potentially cause an elbow condition. Keeping your elbows in a bent sitting position for too long could lead to a case of ulnar neuritis or inflammation of the ulnar nerve, which could lead to numbness, weakness of the fingers and hands. And I've read that it's a lot more common these days because of our habits with cell phones, unfortunately, (laughs) probably even more commonly in the last couple months with everyone isolating at home. It's a tingly feeling I read in the pinky and the fourth finger. What more can you tell us? And is this something that we should be concerned about with our current state of society? Yeah, good question. Maybe we should all be spending more time at the Red River Gorge right? and less time on our phones. How about that? How about that? Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, all of us are probably guilty of that, you yeah. know, uh, spending a lot of time indoors, especially during this COVID-19 yeah. uh, pandemic. But, yeah, that's interesting, you know, how a lot of common activities can really lead to that ulnar neuritis. Most of us have probably felt that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where you kind of, the same thing, the funny bone, it's the same nerve, but it especially... And I've seen this too, if you're especially laying flat, so you're sitting in bed and you're reading an iPad over your head or a book over your head, it's just, yeah, bending that that flexed elbow position can really irritate that nerve, certainly if you hit it on something too. But uh, yeah, just being cautious and most of those kinds of things I would put in the camp of modify your activity, you know, Uh read a different way, take breaks. Certainly never want to discourage reading though. No. That's pretty awesome. But maybe some of the other tablet-based activities, just being cautious kind of in a more ergonomic way, if you will. 
Yet another reason to put your phone down. There you go. Absolutely. Well, it is summertime, and injuries like this obviously can occur at any time of the year, but do you typically see more instances of shoulder and elbow injuries as people are spending more time outdoors, playing sports, and being physically active? Yes, certainly. And I've talked to a lot of colleagues with with our, you know, hip and knee colleagues as well, especially with ACL injuries and other things with the knee. We do know that with schools classically having not been doing a lot of summer sports with during the pandemic, that some of those injuries have gotten better, which is obviously good news. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't want people to get hurt, but we want them to stay active and do the things they enjoy. So certainly as more people are active, bikes, other things too, that can be a a common reason for injury, Mm -hmm. especially in the shoulder and elbow. So yeah, certainly more activity can lend lend to that, especially with, you know, better weather and more people being outdoors. Yeah. I would imagine that strains, sprains, and breaks are something you see a lot of in your practice. Let's start with breaks. That's pretty self-explanatory, but I did find this interesting. I read that trampolines are the number one cause of elbow fractures in children. Do you see much of this? Do you see many children in your practice? And if someone breaks an elbow early in life, say on a trampoline or from falling off a bike, can that person expect a greater instance or risk of arthritis or difficulty later in life? Yeah, all great questions. And, and trampolines can, you know, again, kind of like we said with heavy weightlifting or yeah. crossfitting or whatever, you know, everything kind of in moderation. But even despite best efforts, accidents happen, yeah. unfortunately, and they can be pretty severe. But more so during my time at Vanderbilt at the Children's Hospital did we see, obviously, a lot of trampoline injuries at the Children's Hospital. So I do see, actually, kind of on the older side of children at this point, kind of more in the 12, 13 and above. So not seeing as much of the smaller children, you know, as far as the breaks of the elbow go, but those are still quite common. And if they're fixed and treated, not all of them need surgery, but if they're fixed or do well with casting, not necessarily uh, destined to have arthritis in the elbow. Some of them that are extremely challenging may be a little bit higher risk for development of arthritis over time but Mm -hmm. for the most part on the type of elbow fractures that kids have they're not in the joint for the most part okay and so they actually do really well great well let's transition now to sprains and strains what do listeners need to know what might cause a sprain or what might indicate that they have a sprained elbow yeah so these would usually be a load to the elbow it could be repetitive overuse as far as throwing things like that but often a sprain is going to be a fall somebody falls they, they land awkwardly Unfortunately, they didn't break their elbow, sure. but the ligaments did take the blow. So, you know, somebody, I say kind of somebody has to lose, you know, especially if you like dislocate your elbow, dislocate yeah. your shoulder, either the, the soft tissue, somebody has to stretch, strain, sprain, tear, or the bones have to break. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So sometimes all of the above happens, unfortunately. But the, the sprain and strain would imply that the bones held, uh, but the soft tissues did not. So those are ones where, you know, resting, icing, kind of immobilizing for a period to kind of get a feel for things. And if it's still kind of unsteady or not working quite right, then obviously that's a good time to get in and see an elbow expert. Yeah, that's a good nod to the acronym RICE that we all have probably heard growing up. Rest, ice, compress, and elevate. Will strains cause long-term issues that need attention or are these pretty easily treated and then you move on? Most of them treat and move on. Okay. I mean, sometimes if you keep hitting the same spot with a specific activity, repetitive activity, it can it can catch up with you. But for most kind of activities of daily living and things like that, once mm-hmm. we're kind of back in the game, we're good. Now, the higher level athletes and workers that are doing very specific duties mm-hmm. uh, sometimes can still tell over time. But for the most part, we can get those better and kind of get people back to life. Yeah. Was there anything else that we haven't covered today that you'd like to share or tell our listeners about? No, just really appreciative of the opportunity, Kendra. It's uh, you know, a real pleasure to share on some of these 
topics and certainly want to be available to folks that need help on the shoulder and elbow front that we kind of see from sprains and strains up to fractures and replacements and and even revision replacements. So uh, that's kind of our passion and surrounded by an incredible group of colleagues in the orthopedic department here at Baptist and and just a really incredible support group in our office and and all the different uh, ancillary support and other providers and practitioners that we get to work with. So really amazing family yeah. uh, to be a part of. And yeah, thanks for the time. Well, if you're up for it, before I let you go today, we'd like to play a little game of rapid fire Q&A to help our listeners get to know you a little better. Are you down for that sounds it? sounds great. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Morning. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Yes. What's the best book you've ever read? <laughs> the Bible. Yes. What is something you like to do to spend time with your kids? Be outdoors. So they're in the sports and playing tag and, and wrestling. They love to wrestle, especially my four-year-old son. So we uh, we do a lot of wrestling. So just anything they want to do, we're, we're up for. Mine are into the wrestle phase right now, too. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite restaurant in the Lexington area? Oh, great question. That's a tough one. <laughs> um we really like, I probably could give a top five list. Go for it. But I really like OBC Kitchen, Coles. Those have been, been some of our longtime favorites. You've got good taste. All right, last but not least, what is your favorite Bible verse or quote that you live by? Oof. You know, um, lot to choose from there. That's a good one. <laughs> we, um, was it Matthew? Maybe Bacha. We just wrote it down for our kids recently. I think it was a Matthew seven twelve. Basically the golden rule. That's yeah. the golden rule. Yeah. I may have misquoted it, but I love it. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah, I think it's a great way to remind ourselves to be kind and recognize who we represent, you know, whenever we, not just our family and, and children and coworkers, but we represent right. our faith and just to be kind to people and kind of give them the benefit of the doubt and, and kind of put the shoe on the other foot. That's exactly right. Well, Dr. Brent Morris, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Your expertise in the area of shoulders and elbows is quite evident, and we feel very fortunate to have you as part of the Baptist Health family. If someone is seeking orthopedic care or would like to make an appointment with you, how could they get in touch with your office? Yes, so our office line, we have one appointment line. They try to make it as smooth as possible. It gets you directly to a person, so it's 859-899-7950. And we try to be available in surgery a couple of days a week and in clinic three days a week, but really try to get folks in same day when possible, especially if they have an acute injury. So we really just try to accommodate and, uh, and get folks in and uh, look forward to helping out any way we can. Perfect. Well, thank you again. It's been really good to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you found my conversation with Dr. Morris helpful and informative. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. And if you're not already, follow along with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest Baptist Health news and updates. We'll see you again next time on Health Talks Now. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit baptisthealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health.
Baptist Health. Be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.